With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hour number three of PM Tampa Band this Thursday, July 30th. I'm Ryan Gorman. With me this evening, James Berlander on the board. And you know, with the protests continuing, and yesterday you had big tech testifying before Congress, censorship, one of the issues that came up. You also have these stories that seem to pop up day after day after day, people saying something on social media and then getting fired by their employer. I figured it'd be good to spend some more time on the issue of free speech in the First Amendment. So I'm joined now on the hotline by Ken Paulson, founder of One for All, director of the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University and former editor-in-chief of USA Today. Ken, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with us again this evening. And last time you were on, when we talked about the First Amendment and you explained it, some people hit me up and, and they didn't realize all that was included in the First Amendment. So let's start there with an overview of the First Amendment. Absolutely. In fact, surveys show that only 2% of Americans can tell you right now, if you call them on the phone and ask them, what does the First Amendment contain? Only 2% actually know. A full third of Americans don't know that uh, doesn't don't know any of the freedoms, can't name a single freedom. And uh, we, we live in a nation in which, oddly enough, almost every American um, can uh, uh, can recite the Pledge of Allegiance and, for that matter, the lead characters on Game of Thrones, but we don't know the five freedoms of the First Amendment. We have to remember that way back in 1791, uh, Americans were inventing their own government essentially on the run. It was 1789, the way on our Constitution. But the first generation of Americans said, hey, we're not going to give the government all this power, a presidency, a judiciary, a legislative branch called Congress, unless you give us some guarantees. So if you promise these promises, if you if you won't search our property, if you won't put soldiers in our home during uh, during peacetime, if you if you allow us to bear arms and above all else, these are most important. We want to worship the God of our choice, say whatever we want, write whatever we want petition the government for change and assemble together in the town square uh, without being shot. No more Boston massacres. That combination, the five freedoms of the First Amendment, freedom of speech, press, religion, petition, and assembly, together give us free expression in this country. And actually, those are the most potent guarantees of, of freedom of expression anywhere in the history of the world, even today. And that leads right into my next question about why this amendment was so revolutionary, such a game changer. The world had never seen something like this before, correct? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have to remember that most of our country's roots come from countries in which there was either royalty or, or some other restrictive form of government. Uh, and, and the notion that people are born free was actually something that didn't really emerge um, until several centuries ago. And, and so the notion that a government would say, you know what, we have the power, <laughs> and we're going to share it. In fact, you are the power. The, the power of the people would drive the future of America. And then they built in this fascinating commitment, which was going to make this a more perfect union. We're going to get better. We're going to evolve. And that's been the secret of America, because 
even though our first generation of, of leaders did not free the slaves, we used the power of those five freedoms protesting to eventually abolish slavery, even though they didn't have the wisdom to give women a full participation in society. The suffrage, the suffrage movement used the First Amendment to ensure that women had, had a vote and a voice. That's been the miracle of America. Those five freedoms allow us to fix things, make things better, take a stand for change and, and make a positive difference. So what are some of the most common misconceptions about freedom of speech? I, w- I would think the single most uh, misunderstood thing about freedom of speech is that the First Amendment only protects us against our government. So the government can't limit what you say, but your employer can. The, the people you associate with can criticize you. There's nothing about the First Amendment that allows you to say things without any social consequence. And, and people, you know, sort of will say outrageous things or say hateful things or uh, racially insensitive things and say, hey, it's free speech. Sure, you have the right. The government can't stop you from saying something uh, that's troubling the people around you. But that doesn't mean those folks can't take action, can't ostracize you, can't turn their backs on you. It, it, free speech is just a license, but just because you say it doesn't mean it, it's a good thing to say. I'm joined by Ken Paulson, founder of One for All, director of the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University and former editor-in-chief of USA Today. Just following up on that point, talk a little bit about the power that businesses have to take action against an employee based on something they say. We've certainly seen that recently, people speaking out and offering up their opinion, but then losing their job because of it. Absolutely. Uh, We don't have First Amendment rights in a in our workplace. And if you don't believe that, I suggest you try to march on your boss tomorrow morning and see what happens. Uh, the, the, the truth is that uh, the only things that protect us from getting fired any day for any reason are protected categories. So you're, if they fire you because of your age or your disability or because you're a woman or because you're a member of a minority, all of those things, if that's the reason they fired you, uh, you can appeal and, and file suit in court. But otherwise, most Americans, if you're a 30-year-old non-minority male and they don't like the look of your tie, they can fire you. There's no protection for that. Uh, of course, there are union rules. Some people have contracts. But most Americans are vulnerable to being fired any day just because, because. that's it. Um, and so when somebody posts something online, uh, that is highly embarrassing. And the news stories all say that so-and-so works at Allstate Insurance. Allstate can fire him because he's caused, period. They just can fire him. They don't have to have a reason. But they would want to fire this person because they embarrassed the company, associated uh, uh, a respected company with racism or sexism. You, you can go overnight. It, it's, uh, that's the way it works. And the First Amendment is not going to help you in any way. What would be an example of the government going too far and crossing a line that potentially puts some form of freedom of speech at risk? Well, in terms of freedom of speech, um, I think the, the area that, that has, uh, where, where most of the litigation occurs right now is actually in public schools. Um, if, if a student, um, if a student wants to wear a T-shirt with a political message, or wants to have a car parked in the parking lot that uh, has like a rebel flag in the back of it, can a school limit that behavior? 
similarly, we see college campuses, and the good news is fewer of these all the time, but they will create what they call a free speech zone, a specific place where if students want to express their opinion, they have to go. Um, these are areas that are more likely to be um, t- t- to be uh, uh, problematic, the government limit speech. By and large, so much of this has been litigated. You know, government knows better than to go in and try to muzzle someone standing on a street corner expressing their opinion. We don't see blatant infringements on freedom of speech. Now, what we do see increasingly are limits on, particularly on assembly, and we've seen that around the country for for a couple of months now. There are are times when the government uh, intrudes on freedom of speech, press, religion in particular, but lately it's been assembly. I'm joined by Ken Paulson, founder of One for All, director of the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University and former editor-in-chief of USA Today. Let's talk about protesting. What are the rights of protesters in this country? Well, we have the right to speak out against our government. Uh, And as individuals, we can do that almost anywhere we wish on public property. But there is something called time, place, and manner. Uh, in terms of, uh, of law of assembly. So what that means is, I know you want to protest. Yeah, I know you want to march. Wonderful. Exercise your First Amendment rights. But you may not exercise those at 5 p.m. marching down Broadway just as commuters are getting into their cars. That would clog the streets. We can arrange to have you do that at 3 p.m. Or we can arrange to have you do that somewhere else in the city. But a government has a right not to deny a protest, but to set limits on when, where, and how. Same thing would be you have the right to be on the street corner, and you can you can shout to everybody how what you think about the president or, or whatever you care to, but you can't necessarily use a megaphone because that loud noise will affect businesses in the area. So basically, they can't deny you the right to protest, but the government has a lot of control over where and how you do it, including asking you to get a license, uh, a permit to do that. Now, here's what's fascinating. You know, we watch a lot of television now in which we see a lot of stress and strife on the streets because law enforcement's coming face-to-face with protesters. But, but this is a little surprising. Across this country, cities, towns, municipalities have been very cool about this. They could demand a license, a permit for people to gather, 25 people to gather when they gather like suddenly and they don't expect it. But throughout this, they have not been insisting on that because they recognize how powerful this movement is. They understand that if they start denying permits, they will exacerbate an already bad situation. It's something that hasn't been recognized, but there's been really admirable restraint by cities just letting the people protest. And and yes, there's some limits, and they push them back, and they say, you can't go here. But by and large, the right to protest in America has been really uh, protected, and as a result, has been very robust. One term that people often hear is hate speech, and there are some who want to limit it. What is hate speech, and can it cross a line that would make it unconstitutional? Well, this may be a surprising answer, but hate speech is always protected. There is no line. Um, and, and I'm saying that, uh, hate speech to me would be to say things that deeply offend someone of another race or faith, that denigrate them, that make them uncomfortable. None of those are good things, but they're all protected by the First Amendment. 
And, and here's why. Uh, back in this in, in 1791, as I said, we ratified the, uh, the, the Bill of Rights to the Constitution. Um, we had to decide what kind of nation we were going to be. And, and we were, you know, surprisingly, even though we're very polarized today, we were extremely polarized in many ways at the very birth of this country. You know, they started newspapers not, not because of advertising revenue. There were no malls in colonial Maryland or, uh, or first-generation Maryland. Anyway, so, so what you did was start a newspaper to attack political rivals, to say hateful things about George Washington. In fact, that's one of the reasons George Washington didn't pursue a third term. He just had had it with the criticism and the anger and the conflict. And so, um, so basically, we created a system where you could say anything to anybody at all. And your right would be protected because, because it's common sense. Think about it. You never have to protect popular speech against government incursion. You have to protect unpopular speech. So we had a test of that in the beginning of the country. John Adams, second president, supports the Alien and Sedition Act. And people are jailed because of hateful things they said about John Adams. By the turn of the century, and that, that would be 1800. We regained our balance, and we said, no, no, that's not what this country is about. So the bottom line is the First Amendment was created. The right to speak freely was created because we wanted to protect hateful, angry, protesting speech. And that's where we are today. No one says hate speech is a good thing. But having the ability to express your view, no matter how controversial, that is a very good thing. Now, when it comes to speech that threatens a person or a group of people or tries to incite violence, that's a different story. And action can be taken against someone who does that, right? Excellent point, yes. And, and when you think about it, no one's speech is being limited because um, what is being punished is the action. So, for example, people always say you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Well, you can't yell anything in a crowded theater. If I, if I get up in the middle... We all hope we have theaters again, and people will be crowded into these theaters and healthy. But if I get up in the middle of that and yell, God bless George Washington and, <laughs> and the First Amendment over and over again, they're taking me out. Is it because they don't like George Washington or the First Amendment? No, because my action is disrupting the film. If I, if I yell fire in a crowded theater, it's not because they object to the word fire. It's because I am creating a panic, a dangerous public situation. If someone, a criminal, um, tells someone, uh, tries to hire someone to commit murder, well, that speech is not protected because it's not technically speech. It's inviting someone else to create a crime, cause or have a crime occur. So the bottom line is those limits are really on conduct, and they're not on the words themselves. I'm joined by Ken Paulson, founder of One for All, director of the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University and former editor-in-chief of USA Today. Final question for you, social media's role in all of this. We hear lots of debate about censorship, what social media companies can and should prohibit, what they should allow. What powers do these companies have over the content on their sites, and how does that fit in with the First Amendment? Well, if we go back and analyze the First Amendment, we say government shall make no law, but it doesn't say Twitter shall make no law. And so private companies can decide what rules they want to operate by. They, 
They tell the public, this is who we are, this is what we do, and here's the appropriate conduct, and here's the inappropriate conduct. And they have a choice. They can say, it's the Wild West. Just go for it. We're not going to interfere at all. Or they're going to say, you know what, we're going to moderate this. We're going to make sure that nothing uh, creates harm to society in terms of bad information about the coronavirus and all of that. So actually, Twitter and Facebook and all these businesses have their own First Amendment rights to decide how they're going to operate. And the challenge for them is to be consistent. Um, and it's a shame that we don't actually have a few more social media companies with comparable clout because then everyone uh, you know, can make a choice about what environment they want to express their views. I think a lot of Americans would welcome a Facebook that actually doesn't have as much outrage and hate as it does. But others would welcome probably, you know, a free-flowing conversation. I will say this, that if Jefferson and Madison and the boys were still around, they would all be very active on social media. (laughs) What we are seeing now is the ultimate fruition of their dream. Creating a nation in which everyone has a voice, it's incredible. Someone sitting in their bedroom in the middle of Ohio can tweet something that changes the path of American history. What power, what impact, and that's the America that First Generation had in mind. Ken Paulson, founder of One for All, director of the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University and former editor-in-chief of USA Today. Ken, thank you for taking the time to have this discussion with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.